Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, Graham Howe is back in studio again. I feel quite bad. This is the fourth week in a row I've made him come in here because he goes off and has these most fabulous adventures and then he has to come and tell us about them. So he's back again for the fourth time and hopefully, as he said, it's the last one on Poland and this time we're going to be talking about the time that he spent in Gdansk. Graham, good evening. Welcome back yet again to the show. Uh, uh, good evening. Uh, you sound exhausted. I always said, <laughs> said good evening, Gdansk. Yeah. Well, that's where you were. So that's where your 10-day tour of Poland actually came to an end. This was your last Yes, stop. it was. This overland trip from Krakow or, or Krakow in the in the south and up to up to Warsaw and then via uh, Turin and uh, Marburg up to up to Gdansk in a sort of straight line up to the Baltics. And so now we're we're way up in the in the Baltic, close to sort of Lithuania, Estonia, Latvia. And across, of course, across the waters to, uh, to 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 Finland and and Scandinavia. Very reminiscent of Amsterdam, Gdansk. Yes, absolutely. I was really surprised. Apparently, it's it's an old Hanseatic town. You know, the association of of Hanseatic merchants who traded in, in, in grain and cloth and established this sort of all of these uh, trading ports along the Baltic and tall skinny wooden houses you know all leaning against each other and a lot of Flemish uh, and Renaissance uh, architecture but great sort of gilded facades and a very opulent show of wealth from former centuries all from when in fact Gdansk was, was literally the sort of the granary of, of Europe or the grain capital and would export from Poland a uh, grain all over Europe. The thing I like that you mentioned to me, they have something called Arthur's Court, and I'm still, I like all that whole sort of yes. mystery and mystique of, of, of Camelot, and this is reminiscent of that. Well, it's one of the very beautiful buildings in the old town, uh, which is perfectly preserved um, with, with, with all of these royal gateways. And apparently the merchants, again, uh, in all their ports, had these Arthur's Courts. And I think it was a bit like a sort of a, the round table of today, mm. perhaps. And the, and they would they would meet there and discuss common affairs and, and charitable work, etc. Um, but it was very much styled on the on the round table of Camelot. In fact, a 16th century sundial on the side of the this beautiful red brick Gothic town hall uh, read in Latin, which I really liked, on the sundial, our days are but a shadow. And uh, this, you know, this has been a saying that's been up there for um, for centuries. And and we also saw another wonderful clock at the top of the uh, town museum. This young lass in costume comes to the window, a model for woman, and looks out and waves. And apparently, it's the, the legend of a of a long love affair between her and a sailor who went to sea and never came back. And she, so, for centuries, she's been looking out the window of the of the museum, um, looking for uh, her beloved sailor. Which is a nice romantic story, but walking along the waterfront, which is a series of canals like, um, very much like Amsterdam, the main canal has, I think, the the biggest wooden crane in Europe. This, I mean, it's it's staggering in its size, and and it goes back to the medieval era, used for loading grain onto the uh, boats in time gone by, and also um, has Saint Mary's Church, which is uh, one of the biggest red brick Gothic churches in Europe, which is spectacular and can accommodate a congregation of twenty. 5,000 people, wow. which apparently when it was built was literally the entire population of Gdansk. It's very impressive, Gdansk, and it would be a huge mistake if you are 
traveling in the Baltic, as a lot of people do one of these, you know, cruises, is not to, to pop into Gdansk and have a look at it. It's just gorgeous um, architecture. Now, talking about churches, you went to an organ concert, a fabulous organ concert somewhere. We did. We went to the Cistercian Church of Oliwa, which is set in a res- residential suburb about 10 minutes out of the city. And it houses one of the most famous organs in Europe, made of an astonishing almost 8,000 uh, pipes made of Good oak, grief. pine, and tin. And every morning, I think it's at 11 or 12, um, they have a 25-minute concert of music led by the head organist and his or her assistants. And they play everything from Ave Maria to, to a sort of Phantom of the Opera theme. It's very dramatic. And this soaring church, which actually looks like a big meringue, uh, it's all sort of this white and very, very sort of heavenly and the ceiling with these high church rafters. And they have 25 figures uh, pa- painted in gold or gold leaf of angels and saints who all move around the, the stars and the planet as the organ plays. There's this big mechanical wow. uh, planetary sort of um, system and they blow, blow bugles and uh, it's really quite quite something. And uh, that was really one of the highlights, quite a quirky sort of thing to do on on uh, a tour of Gdansk. But in fact, the church was absolutely full uh, with tourists. And well, We started off uh, oh, four weeks ago now chatting about your reason for going to Poland in the first place, which was to commemorate the 70th anniversary of the Warsaw Uprising. But now being in Gdansk, they also had a little uprising of their own there. They did, in fact, a really famous one um, from 1970 onwards, and specifically in 1980, the uh, Gdansk shipyards were the home to the Solidarity Trade Union movement, which grew literally within weeks to something like 10 million members and ended up when the Nobel Peace Prize winner, Lech Walesa, um, led this rebellion which toppled the Soviets and in fact brought the Iron Curtain down and set in place a a sort of a whole domino effect um, that led to the, the, the complete crumbling of the old East European uh, Soviet bloc. And he's today regarded as one of the great national heroes of, of Poland, perhaps like the sort of Madiba of South Africa. He's still alive. And in fact, a new major solidarity center and museum opens later this year, which is this enormous building built all out of the old um, steel, sort of rusted steel panels of old ships and oh, tankers. I like that. So it's created, it's, it really is mm. sensational, the architecture. I was unable to go in. They do have the historic plywood boards on which are written Solidarity's famous 21 Freedom Demands, which are enshrined now in the UNESCO's World Memory List of the most valuable documents in the history of mankind. And nearby, there's a wonderful underground museum set in a bunker, which recreates the whole era of Soviet occupation, down to a shop um, selling single-sheet toilet paper oh and rations. What, you mean one square? One square at oh a time, goodness. yes. Okay. Absolutely. So the times were tough. There are two major gates at the entrance and a monument, a very tall monument sculptured by the Solidarity welders and, and who, who belonged to the movement to the, I think it was 45 martyrs who died in clashes with the Soviet troops. And the gates, in fact, and the wall where Lech Walesa, after he had been um, sort of banished by the Soviet authorities, actually climbed over the wall and sculptures created one gate which symbolized the years of Soviet oppression and the, another gate which symbolizes the freedom. So it's a very, in fact, I, I ended 
ended up leading a tour of our group because it wasn't on our itinerary and said to everyone, you really have to go to the Gdansk shipyards. This is a very historic location. And funny enough, in the in the main town square, there's this office that says Lech Walisa's bureau, which means it's his actual office. And there was a buzzer. So we rang the <laughs> trust buzzer. You, trust you. <laughs> and said, can we come for tea? And <laughs> a very bemused secretary said to us, no, Mr. Walesa is on summer holiday like you. <laughs> You'll have to come back another time. Now, you, you also, I mean, I love all the history and the old world stuff that goes, it just sounds amazing. But there's also the world, it's, it's the oldest and biggest summer fair in Europe. Yes. And you were there then. It's called St. Dominic's Fair. And I mean, the entire town, there must have been, honestly, if there was one, there were f- maybe 5,000 stalls. People come from all over Europe. Apparently, originally, a special papal bull was granted 750 odd years ago to Gdansk to hold the fair. Merchants used to come to sell silk, cloth and spices. And today, in the August Fair, which is when we were there, fills the streets and waterfront with hundreds of stalls. It's really like the world's biggest flea market, I think, selling a lot of bric-a-brac, amber, clothes and anything that goes, including a lot of traditional Polish food. Um, so, again, it was a very good way of eating Zurek and a Bigosh and these, these sausages and stews uh, and cheeses. And there were lots of beer stalls as well, micro, micro brew stalls. You mentioned amber at this market. Did you buy any amber? Oh, we did. In fact, near the one gate, there's a wonderful uh, Lithuanian couple that sell amber. And it's traditionally been called the Baltic gold of the north. And amber is this resin. It's been, I think it's something like six million years old, four or six million years. And it's found in pine trees, which have been submerged underground, under sea, in fact, for years. It's a mineral called, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but succonite or succonite. And it's harvested under the sea. And in fact, you still see locals trawling along the beachfront uh, looking for uh, amber with nets and um, because a lot is with with each uh, heavy sea breaks up some of the amber and brings it to the surface and in the golden age of Gdansk masterpieces were made from altars and sculptures and jewelry and any pope tsar king or emperor who visited poland was traditionally presented with this this wonderful sort of gold brown stone we went to the amber museum the in the tower at the entrance to town they had many examples of what they call inclusions, which are insects, um, down oh, to scorpions, right. yes, flies, which get trapped inside the amber and perfectly preserved for millions of years. And in fact, it's not that expensive. For, I would say, about 100, 150 rand, you can come back with a nice pendant or, or earring and have it set in, in uh, stone. And in fact, one member of our group went absolutely crazy, and so much so that buying amber, and I think was had you know the wonderful necklaces and, and um, earrings and rings. And when she... She used to go back to this Lithuanian-run stall every evening. And when we told her, no, this is the last night here, she said, the stall holder started crying <laughs> and said, no, no, you're our best customer ever. Come back. So it's very funny. <laughs> Am I correct in thinking that they, at the Winter Palace in Russia, the Tsar had an amber room? Yes. Mm, so the whole yes. room was, was, it was made from, made from I mean, amber, it just yes. is the most beautiful thing, sort of tiger's eye, but perhaps mm. not as brown, not as dark as that. It's a very golden amber cut, and it really ranges in mm. color depending on its age. And they say the, real, the, t- the way to tell real amber is to light it, but I've got no idea, and you can smell resin coming off it. But I mean, I, I wouldn't, well, wouldn't uh, want to do that. You'd probably wreck your uh, new, 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 new purchase. Well, yes. And say, yes well, it, an it, excuse for your well, friend it, to go back and buy some more. Well, it was original, but it's <laughs> melted now. <laughs> 
now being in Gdansk, is this a good sort of base to move around? I mean, is, could you use this as like a central sort of stepping off point? Certainly for the for the Baltic North. I mean, it's called Tri-City. It's made up of both Gdansk, the downtown old area, and then also two very stylish resort towns called Sopot and, and Gdynia. Sopot is a very wealthy beach, horse racing and spa resort and an icon of tourism of Poland, famous for its Art Nouveau architecture. And, and it has a 516-metre wooden pier built in the 1820s, um, the longest wooden pier in Europe. They, they do lung, they like love the longest their superlatives in, yes. in you know, <laughs> the biggest Gothic <laughs> fortress. And, and it juts out into the Gulf of Gdansk, this pier. So it's the th- in thing is to take a walk along there. And you can spot the famous luxury Grand Hotel where Hitler and his officers stayed for a week in September 1939, which was exactly um, 75 years, which is where the Second World War started when they with a naval battle when they invaded Gdansk, which was historically known as Danzig and was a free port mm. on which the uh, the Nazis claimed as, as German territory. And they took it back on the 1st of September and proceeded to move into the best hotel in the area as well. And in fact, you can also visit the home of the famous actor Klaus Kinski, the Casanova of Poland who claimed to have slept with 5,000 women in his lifetime. Now, you talk about Gdansk and this, it's near the sea and it's on the sea, it's, it's on the Baltic. How's the, I mean, I don't, don't talk to me about the blood sausage. I don't know about that. But what about yes. seafood? It must be fabulous. Well, for that, you would go to an old Baltic fishing village of, of Gdania and the old fish hall there specializes in all kinds of fresh seafood. So herring, in fact, the herring season was underway in the Baltic while we were there. So lots of fresh herring and smoked eel, which I'm sure you'd enjoy, but also cod and mackerel and, and flounder. And, and uh, we enjoyed a wonderful seafood platter while we were there. And storeholders sell delicious smoked herring on the streets. And it's best washed down with what they call gold vasa or gold water, which is a real Gdansk specialty. It's a herbal liqueur made with real gold flakes or vodka and a, a wild bee honey vodka made with forest herbs so those were some of the local specialties as well now we started off this chat a good few weeks ago talking about your reason for going there was the commemoration of the 70th anniversary of the warsaw uprising but all around the same sort of time it was the start of the second world war as well so i mean commemoration time yes so was there anything were there any commemorations for that well we had left by the time the the main 75th anniversary of the start of the second world war took place in gdansk at a battle site uh, nearby it's a long peninsula called the vesterplatte which literally means the west peninsula but on september the first apparently the city marked the the 75th anniversary and it's a real crucible of European history Poland generally but certainly both Gdansk and Warsaw and it's right at the entrance to the harbour of Gdansk and it's a fascinating complex of bunkers and guard towers barracks a war cemetery and in fact World War II buffs come from all over the world um, to tour this battle site you know like like Normandy like the D-Day landings there Gdansk was renamed the free city of Danzig by the Treaty of Versailles after World War I and was hotly disputed territory between Germany and Poland. In fact, one of the fiercest resistances was put up by the Polish postal workers who refused to hand over the post. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, it's nice to know like there's a country style. where your, yeah. your letters and, and, uh, are still secure. And in fact, died literally, hundreds of them died defending the, their local Good post office okay. headquarters. And, and they also had their own, the, 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 the Polish postal worker, Martyrs of the Postal Workers Service, um, they have their own monument there, which is, is part of the World War II site. So uh, it's a safe place to, to, to send a postcard from. It I sounds guess, like it. <laughs> but, I mean, that is where the whole thing started. I mean, on September 1st, 
1939, when the German warship actually began shelling them. Um, And then they launched an infantry attack and came ashore. And and you can walk through these bunkers, and they have recreated one exactly as it was. So it's set in a sandbag bunker with machine guns and a radio station. It has a very authentic atmosphere. And then there's souvenir stalls selling lots of sort of World War I and World War II, everything from helmets to to gas masks to shells. What I really liked was there was a massive stone monument. Um, It's high on a hilltop overlooking the river mouth of the Vistula River, which runs all the way through Poland. I was talking earlier about walking alongside the riverbanks mm. in Warsaw and in Krakow as well. And and this is where it basically, you know, pours into the into the Baltic Sea. And they have these this massive uh, sculpture with the names of all the major sea invasions and battles of World War II from Dunkirk and Normandy to Vesterplatte. And it's a very impressive memorial looking out to sea. But alongside it, set in a forest, is a simple row of very tall block letters in Polish and when I asked our guide, you know, what does that spell out? He says, it simply says, no more war. And it seemed an appropriate note to end our World War II tour of, of Poland on. I was chatting there with Graham Howe. He's a freelance travel journalist and he's been spending some time in Poland. He initially went out there for the commemoration of the 70th anniversary of the Warsaw Uprising. But then he also spent some time traveling around Poland and exploring this amazing country, which he says is very, very affordable for us South Africans. So if you're looking for somewhere new to go, or you love the history side of it, or you just want to go and explore a new country at a very affordable price, Definitely think about going to Poland. There's lots of information. I was a guest of the uh, Department of Foreign Affairs and the uh, Embassy of Poland as well, who I should thank for their kind and generous support. Yes, and it's the Department of Foreign Affairs of Poland, not South Africa. I think we mentioned that in the very beginning. So that was wonderful of them to have invited you. And thank you from me too, because if you hadn't gone, we wouldn't have had all this fabulous stuff to talk about. Time to travel with Karen Key. I'm joined this evening by Deborah Sivertson, and she's the general manager of the Radisson Blue Hotel Waterfront here in Cape Town. And uh, Deborah, good evening. First of all, welcome to the show. Good evening, Karen. Thank you very much. I much appreciate being on the show. Well, I have to first of all congratulate you. You're just recently back from London, voted Women in Leadership Champion for the Sub-Saharan region for Radisson Blue Hotels and Resorts. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes, it's, no, it's really great. And I think it's a wonderful initiative um, that Residor is embarking on to help grow women in leadership. So it's a business issue. It's not actually a women issue. But I think it's a lovely initiative that as a company we're driving to grow. So tell me a little bit about your career in the hotel industry or in hospitality generally. Okay. Well, to tell you the truth, I'm actually originally not from the hospitality industry. I was in retail for many years. And my background is I've actually studied and degreed in human resources, industrial psychology. And that's how I landed up in the hospitality industry as the human resources manager. And funny enough, it was actually at this property at the Radisson waterfront. It was originally called the Villa Via. And I started here in 97 as the human resources manager. And that was my step into the hospitality industry. And then Radisson converted in 2000 to the Radisson waterfront, which we have now. And I had the opportunity of having a wonderful mentor called Mr. Gartman, who groomed and developed and grew me and pushed me more and more into operations, where I eventually moved out of HR and full time into operations as the deputy GM here at the Radisson Waterfront, and then later moved on to run and open their hotel on Green Market Square, the first park in South Africa, and I was with them for a while, and then left to join Protea, and I was with Protea for about seven years, of which my last property I ran was the President Hotel in Bantry Bay. 
Well, so you've had quite a diverse range of properties that you've been working at, but something like human resources must stand you in very good stead now in your position as general manager at the Radisson Blue. Absolutely. I think, you know, one of the key aspects about any good general manager is to to be able to understand their employees. And I think that's something that does give me sort of an an, an edge in that I'm open to be able to sit down and speak to any aspect, whether it's the cleaner or a manager. Now, where you are now, who mentioned, is the Radisson Blue Hotel Waterfront. And if people don't know exactly where that is, it's one of those properties that has views that seriously, I mean, you cannot believe the views from the deck of the Radisson Blue. It's just, it's almost like it's in the middle of the ocean. I, I do think we, yes, I, well, in fact, I do know, I think we've got the best location. I can't get closer to the ocean, but unfortunately, you know, sometimes when you work here, you become a bit blasé <laughs> about the view because you kind of see it every day. And we have the, the opportunities of having whales and dolphins and that in the bay. And sometimes I'll go out onto the terrace and everyone's looking out to the ocean and I'll sort of like, what's going on? And then you look around and you'll say, oh, well, it's just the whales. Or it's, just, <laughs> <laughs> it's just the dolphins again. So you do become a little blasé. But categorically, I think we, we're the closest to the water's edge. Yes, absolutely. The thing I like about your deck, if you're outside from the restaurant section of the hotel, you go out onto this fabulous deck and there's a pier that you can walk down as well. So you can even go further out into the ocean. I mean, it's wonderful. Well, there's a little bit of a method of the madness there. So when you come for our wonderful Sunday lunches, because we have the most divine Tobago Sunday lunch buffet on a Sunday and have live music, and it's, it's an absolute buffet, a beautiful buffet. So the method behind the madness is that you eat, you take a long walk down the pier, and then you come back and you can eat some more. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't work that one out, Deborah. Very good plan. <laughs> So it's it's definitely, it's, there's a definite draw card to having the pier there. Now with summer coming, you mentioned the Sunday lunches out on the terrace. So what else are you doing? Are you anything special coming up for the holiday season, which is rapidly approaching? Very quickly approaching. Look, we, we sort of kick into what we call our season activities. So if we look at like, for example, starting on a Friday night, we have Friday Bride Day. So we have a wonderful bride live music in the evenings. And that starts um, on the Fridays. And then that will go through until about the 9th of January. Then on the Saturday, we do the Seaside Grill. So there again, it's the grill. That starts on the 1st of November and also run until about the 9th, 10th of January, also having live music. And then, as I said, our famous Sunday lunch buffets, which are absolutely phenomenal. That runs every Sunday. And there again, it's including live music as well. And then obviously our Christmas and our year-end functions. The terrace is wonderful for office parties. So that becomes really popular to come and have your year-end office function or party with us. That's also something that's really, really popular that starts to happen now. And I was there not that long ago, and you're busy doing quite a lot of renovations to the property. So what, is, what are you actually busy doing? Absolutely. Well, improving the whole look and feel of the property. As you know, or not, I'm not sure if you are aware, we actually embarked on doing a renovation to the rooms over the last two or three years. So we started with our sea-facing business classrooms, and then last year, we, the year before, we did a bit of us finishing our standard rooms. So all of our rooms have been refurbed. So it was now time to embark on the project into our public areas. So for those people that have know the Radisson and they come back now for summer to come and have the cocktails, they walk into a total new look and feel. We've changed the reception, we've changed the entrance, we've changed the the lounge, um, sort of west atrium area where people can sit and just sort of chill in the lounge area. And then for those people that have had conferencing here, we've redone all of our conference rooms, upgraded them, made them more modern, and we've actually broken through. So we've 
increased our capacity space and that now instead of three different rooms we can have one large room with spectacular views looking out onto the marina. I often worry about conference venues like that when I sort of think about people coming to conferences how much are they listening to at the conference as opposed to staring out the window? Well the the cleverness of what we've done is we've we've put screens on both sides so if the organiser feels that the people might become a bit distracted we just put the screens on the other side. (laughs) Because I mean if I was sitting there I'd be staring at the whales all day. Yeah, no, no not it's, it's hearing a bit anything. Mind, off mind setting, I must admit. <laughs> How many rooms are there, Deborah? We yes. have 177, and that's made up of three different room types. So we have 11 two-bedroom departments, so that's quite large, self-catering, got its own kitchenette. Then we have business class rooms, which are sort of a bedroom and a lovely lounge area, and then we have standard rooms. So all of our business class and our two-bedroom apartments have beautiful ocean views, and then our standard rooms have the beautiful either table mountain or lovely views onto the golf course and then onto the stadium. So you're not, I mean, you... you Wherever you stay, you're going to get something really fabulous to look at. Absolutely. You know, you look across to the waterfront or across to the marina. So in every angle of the building, you do get some form of views, which is really great. And it's quite close. I mean, you can walk from the hotel to the waterfront. It's just right there. Absolutely. It's really nice to take a walk. However, we do have a shuttle that goes every hour on the hour. So if a guest wants to maybe walk and then after they've spent all their money at the waterfront (laughs) and have loads of parcels, they're more than welcome to get our shuttle, which is a free complimentary shuttle, back to the hotel. And as I said, it runs every hour on the hour. And family-friendly hotel, Deborah? Absolutely. You know, I'm married. I have an 11-year-old son. So, you know, as you grow a bit older and you have kids, you suddenly go to these places where you look if they are kid-friendly. We've got a wonderful kids' menu that Grant, our fantastic executive chef, has put together. So we have a kids' menu. And then we have a full, you know, we do special things like a kids' turndown, which is milk and cookies and a story, which we've made up. And, we, you know, when we do the turndown at night, we put that in their room. Um, these little bath toys that we do. So we profile our guests quite a lot and then if they do have kids we make sure we put the relevant things in the rooms so definitely kids friendly it is something that we try and encourage and the business classrooms and the two bedroom apartments just lend themselves so perfectly for families Gosh it's really nice to hear somebody making that much of an effort to include the families because I was chatting gosh quite a long time ago to somebody who'd been doing a little bit of investigating into travelling and who travels and how they travel and they were saying that these days people are travelling at a slightly older age or they're all not necessarily an older age, but they're having children at an older age. And therefore, you know, when we were possibly younger, um, I'm not giving my age away, <laughs> by the time we got to our late sort of 30s, early 40s, we had already, our kids were grown up and we weren't really travelling with them as little children. Yes. But people now are travelling at that sort of age with younger children and they're wanting to go to the better places, they're wanting to go to the more upmarket places. And a lot of these places weren't catering for families. So it's really nice to hear how much you do for families and for the children. No, absolutely. It is a focus point of ours and it is one of our, uh, our unique selling points that we are children friendly and once we know the ages and that, we can accommodate them accordingly. Now, you mentioned earlier Tobago's and I've now been there twice in the last few weeks and trust me, honestly, <laughs> if you haven't been and you're coming or you're going to be in Cape Town over the holidays, you have to make a point to go there. Fabulous. Tell me a little bit about the restaurant and the menu and the chef. Okay, Tobago's been obviously opened when the hotel opened in, in, in 97. The history behind it was at the time the owner that owned the Villa Via also owned at the time it wasn't called the Twelve Apostles but the Twelve Apostles and the restaurant in the Twelve Apostles was called Trinidad and we were Tobago's. So that's where the name of Trinidad, um, Tobago's came from because the other restaurant was called Trinidad. 
So that was a little bit of the history where, where Tobago's came from. Grant is our executive chef. He's been with us for about four and a half years, had a vast experience in the industry and has worked in the industry for a very long time. And his cooking is just really simple. I would definitely say great portion sizes, but simple, tasty, really classic food. So, you know, nothing over the top or too flowery or too, uh, you know, French looking, just really nice classic dishes. We're running our winter menu now, most probably the middle of October, we will launch our summer menu where it will be a, made, a whole a la carte, different menu. And, and yes, I think the best is to try and come and come and sample and try it because Grant's cooking methods are absolutely phenomenal and it comes through in, in his cooking and what he presents. Well, I can highly recommend the curries. Yeah. Um, the butter chicken is amazing. And we were there with some friends the other evening and they had one of the curries with, with fish. Yeah. And that was apparently the best thing, according to him, since Christmas. Well, so. we have our classics, <laughs> which is the chicken and prawn um, Malay, Cape Malay curry. It's a classic. It's always been on our menu. And that's something that everybody absolutely loves. And then the chicken korma, which you had as well, is also a classic that we've put on and we've just found that it's taken off so much. But the variety of being able to bring out beautiful, curry dishes like that but at the same time give out the most divine steaks is is the variety to our menu that we have to offer well i from personal experience can highly recommend the menu at tobago's and uh, grant is an amazing chef so do go and have a try of the menu there and as you said middle of october you can go again because the menu's changing it's a summer menu Absolutely. and um just remind us again deborah of the this the brides and on the deck all the terrace things happening for the holidays when is all that starting okay so most of them would start around about the first of november okay. um you know the the year-end lunches we start now from the 13th of october already but if we look from a friday we will start obviously with our bride days, uh, our Tobago Friday bride day, and that will start also now from the 7th of November and will run right up until the 9th of January. And then on the Saturday, we do the Seaside Grill, also starting around about the 7th of November. And then Sundays, our famous Sunday buffets with live music. And all of these have live music. So it's really nice to come and sit, chill, eat, have the braai going, and then be able to have some cocktails while you have an amazing dinner. The Sunday buffet, is that year-round, or is that only now coming up for the holiday no, season? No, Sunday buffets, we run full year-round. That's really what we're quite known for, is to come and sit and have Sunday buffets. So that's something going for 295 rand per person. And that's every Sunday, and we, we have historically always run run our Sunday buffets. Sounds amazing. If people want to book, Deborah, what do they do? I definitely advise them to book. They can phone into the hotel and ask to go through to, to Tobago's and definitely make a booking. Especially now going into season, even for example, the Friday and Saturday nights, I do advise them to book because we do get busy. Once again, because of location, everybody wants to be here for sundowners. So it does become very busy. So you give us a number, is there a website they can look you, at for what's going on? You can go on to, um, you can call us at the hotel, which is 021-441-3000. And then our website is www.radisonblue.com. And you can go to the Cape Town Hotel um, from there. And all our menus and all of that are loaded on the website. Well, definitely if you're coming down to the Cape for the holidays or if you're a Cape Tonian and you're looking for somewhere different to go, definitely recommend the Radisson Blue at the Waterfront. Deborah, thank you so very much indeed for joining me on the show this evening. Thank you very much, Karen. I really appreciate it and I look forward to welcoming you as well as all your listeners here to the hotel because I can guarantee you you'll have a phenomenal experience. I was chatting there with Deborah Sivertson and she's the general manager of the Radisson Blue Hotel at the Waterfront. And if you'd like to make a booking and apparently it's imperative, don't just 
pitch up there because you're not going to get in because they get absolutely packed. The number in is to call is 021-441-3000 or take a look at the website. It's Radisson Blue and Blue is B-L-U. So it's R-A-D-I-S-S-O-N-B-L-U.com and click on the Cape Town Hotel. All the menus, all the information, the location, how to get there, all of that. It's on that website. So take a look there, make a booking, and have a fabulous time there over the summer. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, joining me in studio this evening is Elsabeth Muller, and she's head of department for Outbound Tours for Live the Journey. Now, we've spoken to people from Live the Journey before, and they have the most amazing tours, always have something unique, different. And things, it's almost, well, literally, they can supply your entire bucket list, given half a chance. And they've got some amazing ones coming up in next year, early next year. In January, they've got a tour to the mountain gorillas of Rwanda. And in July, you can explore Uganda. So to tell us more about this, Elspeth, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. Now, you're one of those lucky people. You've actually been to Uganda to see the gorillas. Yes, I was part of, I took a group last year to um, Uganda and um, it was the most amazing thing I ever experienced. And we did most of the country and Uganda is called the Pearl of Africa. And after you've been there, you can really understand why they they see it like that. So what is it about Uganda? It wasn't just about the gorillas. There's more to this tour than just that. Absolutely. People think of Uganda as going there to see the gorillas, but there's so much more. The Queen Elizabeth National Park is one of the most beautiful national parks I've ever been to, these large savanna fields, and we saw the lions, we saw um, giraffe, and the uh, Uganda carp, which is the um, national antelope. Um, And a section of the park is called Ishasha, and there you can actually see the tree-climbing lions. I've heard about this. Yes, they just hang. (laughs) over the trees like that. It's very, very beautiful to see. And also, there are um, lakes that are connected with the canal called the Kasinga Canal. And then you get onto a boat very close to the side, drifting down the canal. And bird watchers, they find it fascinating because you see all these birds along the side and the animals coming down to um, get water. And then you will see these little wooden boats there, people living in the park, um, living from fishing and there's this wonderful interaction between the animals and the people all living in harmony. Now, the, the, the big draw card there, as we said in the beginning, were the gorillas. Tell me about seeing the gorillas. I can tell you, it was the uh, uh, first time I've done that and I woke up that morning, we slept in tents and I thought I've got this like thing on my stomach <laughs> and I, what is waiting for me today? And we, we first go to the park ranger's office where they brief you on what to do and not to do and what the distance must be, be between you and the, um, and the gorillas, which is um, seven meters. And then they take you to the starting point. And we had a very difficult trek. It took six hours. Wow. Is that because they, they obviously know where they are, but you've got to try and get them. They move, I suppose. They do move. And early in the morning, scouts go out and they are in radio contact with the trackers. But the group that we were looking for, they moved all the time. <laughs> so inconsiderate. I mean, really. <laughs> so it was, it was a difficult trek because they are also between 1,500 and 2,000 meters above wow. sea level. So we started and then you we first went through. Through a tea plantation, then through the 
banana plantation, then through the coffee plantation, <laughs> and then only we reached the, 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 the forest. And it was uphill and downhill, and eventually, yeah, we, we got to them. And you can hear them from a distance making those noises, and then you sort of, you know, you can hear them, so they must be close by. And then about five or so meters from them, you leave everything with the trackers. You leave your walking stick, you leave your backpack, your water, everything. You're only allowed to take your um, camera with you. And and then as we walked there, the big silver back was lying on his back in the middle of nowhere. And there was this little one, just like a real child, you know, all over him and sort of tempting him, you know, and up in the trees the others were. And then the silverback, he just got tired of this little one. And he just stood up and there this enormous animal was standing. I think they can weigh up to 160 um, kilograms. And he started moving off. And as he moved, all the others came out of the trees just following him. And this little one was curious. He wanted to come and see who these people were. Then the mother just came and she grabbed him with one hand, put him on her back, and then they walked off. But lucky for us, there's a river close by. So they went all there. But as they are walking, they're just picking the leaves and eating it and sticks and whatever they get. They're just eating all the time. And then they went to the to the river. And because it was quite late in the day, because um, it took us so long to, to reach them, they were like going for an afternoon nap. So they were lying there and we could sit there and study them. And the little one was like a real child you know playing with his hand in the <laughs> river and we were just amazed by it yeah but you only allowed one hour oh, is, oh they limit your time with them yes mm. yeah only which one is a hour good thing. which is a, a good, good thing. thing yes because they say there's some certain if you cough or sneeze you have to cover your um, face and stuff like that so um, it is to protect them from from getting too much human interaction because they they are used to people but they are still in the wild now this hike just sounds like a bit of a mission so obviously is this not something that people who are not that fit or who have possibly mobility issues wouldn't be able to do Corin, it depends on the day where the group is you know so i always tell my clients you have to be fit you 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 have to be fit walking fit but you end up at the bewindi forest it can be difficult but if you go to rwanda the walk is not that difficult okay. and not that long. And that, that's the, the trip you guys are doing in January. The, the one we're talking about now, Uganda, that's coming up in July. Yes. So maybe people want to go and have a look at, at uh, the mountain gorillas in Rwanda, have a pretty much easier time of it's it. It's an easier and time. And think, oh, well, I could do that even more difficult. And then you can go and do the Uganda one in July. So you've yeah. got to <laughs> yes. do both. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, we were, uh, our group was divided into two groups. Um, in Uganda, the first uh, group went uh, on one day and we went the second day. The first group, they were back by 12 o'clock. They got the group. Uh, oh, they, lucky them. Yeah, so, um, but we, we got a different group to go to. It took us a bit longer. Also, to give you an example, in Uganda, if you go off the lodge, they give you a picnic pack to carry with you, a lunch, because 
they know the chances of you being back at the lodge <laughs> for lunch good. is not that good. <laughs> but in Rwanda, they don't do that because they know they can wait for you. You will be back by lunchtime. Now, you also said that it wasn't just the gorillas that you could see in, in um, Uganda. What else could you see there? Chimpanzees. Mm. That is totally different from um, doing gorilla trekking. The chimpanzees are fast. You, you really have to keep up <laughs> because they're moving very quickly. And it was it was a strange feeling that I got because they are also very loud and they are in these big trees and the sounds echo. And it, it, it can be like a bit scary, you know. They wouldn't do anything, but mm, just to hear noise. that sound. Yes. And also the males are quite aggressive, you know. They are always in competition. So they are slapping their hands on the tree trunks and you can't believe it sounds like drums as they go about trying to just show the other one who is the bigger and the better one and they are moving around and you just go after them this is in Kabali forest is that, that is in yeah. the Kabali forest which is near Fort Porto um, in Uganda yeah so how long is the trip the Uganda 12 trip? days 12 days yes because you also go up to the north to the Murchison Falls and that is um, where, where the Nile origin from Lake Victoria is which is absolutely beautiful and the Murchison Falls National Park is also a beautiful place and that is where we were fortunate enough to see the shoebill which is a, a very rare bird to actually um, see. The other One of the other things you do as well is you go to Entebbe and there's people I think remember back in oh, the yeah. day was the Entebbe I, airport I raid know. and all that. And that's what you mentioned Entebbe and that's what people think. Yes. And I so actually, what, is, what, what are you going to do in Entebbe here? Well, Entebbe is actually just the airport where you arrive. It, that is where Uganda's um, airport is. It's not in Kampala. It's about 30 kilometers from Kampala. So and congestion and traffic in Kampala is... Hectic, so you actually don't want to go into the um, into it's the city, city center. Mm. So the airport is in Tebe. You arrive there, and I have watched that movie over and over again about, <laughs> <laughs> about the raid on in Tebe. So yeah, if you arrive there, you sort of imagine the mm. whole thing. But um, then the, the the guest house is just like. 10 kilometers or so down the road from the airport and then from there you move out the next um, morning down south or either to the Murchison Falls whichever way the tour would run this sounds like a bucket list thing something you know you have it's to it's amazing do. I can tell you I came back and it took me one month just to get into <laughs> oh, work again <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't be telling our boss we're going to go off and do that. Yes. So tell me a little bit about what all of this includes, the, the price of this trip. This is the July trip to Uganda. Um, Cost-wise, kind of accommodation? It includes, um, it is small groups. Um, That's what I was going to ask you. How many people? We, the, the transport, because I can tell you the roads in Uganda, I've never seen roads as bad as so that. So we should stop complaining about potholes. You should. Okay. It is, it's, really, it's one pothole. That the whole road. <laughs> yeah. And it is dusty. The, the transport is in um, converted land cruisers, which take seven people. Six at the back, each one at the window, and then one in front. So if we fill up two of those, you can take um, 14 people. But also taking into account that you can only take eight people at a time to a gorilla group. 
Oh, they limit that. Okay. They limit that, yeah. So there are three groups at Bruwini that we can make use of. So you, they only have about 24 um, permits available per day. So uh, you can't take more. And on that road, you don't want to have a convoy driving. So mm. two vehicles following each other, that is that may, is most practical, yes. So the transport is included. You get three meals daily. All the park fees are included. Accommodation. Accommodation, it is Uganda but it's still a good standard of accommodation. People are always amazed. I don't know why, but it is very nice town accommodation. All the entrance fees and, and those stuff are included. Water in the vehicles during the day, so you don't have to buy any water or anything like that. Um, the gorilla permit is 600 US dollars. I tell Don't, you. I, was, I thought you were going to say 600 rand. No. In dollars. Rwanda, it's seven dollars $750. That's not included in the price. No, that is the only thing that is additional. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's but you, you, that is what the park rang. That is what you need to pay to get the permit. But you must remember they put it to good use in Uganda. In Uganda, we think they should also put it to use with the roads. Taking. Oh. <laughs> But, but the local communities benefit from hospitals and clinics and, and things like that. So, yeah. So, that's not a bad thing. No. Flights there is very easy. Johannesburg, Entebbe, or if you go to Rwanda, it is Johannesburg, Kigali. It's not difficult. So it's, di- almost di- it's direct from Johannesburg, so that's flights, not an yeah. issue. No. Okay. And obviously, there's still place available on these two tours if people want yes, to go. Yes, we've only finalized them now, so they just open. Oh, great. Us. Well, I'll give all the, that information out in a moment. But you've been on the Uganda one. You haven't been to Rwanda, but this now is slightly different. These aren't the same kind. These are the mountain gorillas of Rwanda. As you said earlier, the people that go, go on these, it's, it's a lot easier, possibly, the trek in the Rwanda. The trek is easier, yes. So if you're looking for the easier one, go on the January trip. Yes, trip. and it's also a shorter trip because Rwanda is just a, a smaller country. So how many days? The other one was 12 days to Uganda. How yeah, long is the Rwanda? Oh, this is a week. Yes, okay. yes. So okay. when you will arrive in Kigali, capital city, and then, you know, the history of um, Rwanda, there was lots of turmoil with the, the um, genocide, genocide mm. everything. And um, we include a visit to the Genocide Museum because it is touching and also you understand the country better. You can see where people are coming from. And then from then we go to the Akagera National Park, which is like a, a, a savannah park, antelope and stuff like that. And then from there to the Volcanoes Park. The Volcanoes Park forms part of the Virunga volcanic range. And the Bewindi Park in Uganda and the Virungas are back to back. Oh, okay. So the people in Uganda and the people in Rwanda are very strict with their gorillas so that they don't cross the borders. Okay. <laughs> they don't have passports. <laughs> they want to have the gorillas on their side, so that mm. is why they're following them. They know exactly where they are. So then, yeah, Ruangeri is the town where you go to. And then from there, the, the procedures is basically the same as for the track um, in Uganda. It is just that it is, it is not as, as steep and as difficult, and it is, um, it is a shorter trek. So- so if you haven't done this whole gorilla trekking thing before, maybe you should start off with the Rwanda. You can one. start off with with the Rwanda, yes, yes. But if you want to have a a real African experience, <laughs> then you go to Uganda. Uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> and I can tell you what we did also managed to do is we had um, people in wheelchairs. 
I've heard about this. How does this actually work? The vehicles are not wheelchair friendly. I can tell you that. And also the accommodation, it's it's just a plane shower. But, but they knew that beforehand and they know how to manage it. But for the gorilla track, mm. then they get a stretcher. That is what it is called. It's just this huge basket with poles on each side and then four people carrying the person to the gorillas. They call it the gorilla helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> because the people are sitting up there, mm. the person in the basket, and you would see the gorillas first. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, that is also possible. Uh, we've done that. Um, Maximum two people in a group. And this they is can only manage. for a wonder. This no, isn't you can do it in Uganda. Oh, you can do it in yeah. Uganda as well. Yeah, they've got a sort of a chair there. That is where I saw it the first time that they carried the people in. So, but to get to Buwindi, the road, it's 12 hours. It's difficult for someone in, we thought it's going to be too difficult for someone in a wheelchair. So we inquired in Rwanda, said, no, they do it. And we've done it a couple of times. So It's actually nice that they actually make it available, but they need to sort of work on some of them. Yeah. Things. Yes. To make it accessible. Sibyl, pro- yeah, properly accessible. Accessible. Yes. Yes. And Gosh. then also, then after you've seen the the gorillas, you do the golden monkeys. These fluffy monkeys, and they just have okay. this golden <laughs> color to them. Mm. But it is pretty much the same as doing the um, the chimpanzees. So yeah. Then another day is being. So where, where are they? Are they also as loud and sort of flying about all over the place? No, no, no. They are much more uh, <laughs> <They> calmer. <laughs> And then from there, we go to Lake Kifu, which is like Mauritius in the center of oh, Africa. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's this huge lake, beautiful beaches. And then um, the hotel is like a resort. And then in the background, you've got these um, volcano mountains. So now, is it the same thing with the numbers of people, also the limited exactly numbers the as same. well? Exactly the same. Okay, yeah. except we did mention earlier that the permits here were 750 US dollars in Rwanda and there's 600 in Uganda at the moment. At the moment. If people book for these tours, are those sort of prices going to be locked in or or what happens now? It's normally for a year, yes. Okay. Yeah. So so I don't think that will change soon, no. Okay, right. So, and also we said the limited numbers of people, are there still places available on the Rwanda trip? The Rwanda uh, section um, of the Volcanoes Park where we go to, they have more gorilla families so there are more permits available in rwanda than there is in uganda so yes there are permits available but it's only also five people Mm. so what we normally do if it's a couple or if it's two friends going with we make sure that they are not split they are in the same group going to the same gorilla family but the whole tour group will definitely be um, split into sounds amazing and karen what i should also mention is these, this trip is now in January, the other one in June, July. But if people don't, if that those dates don't accommodate them, we can do a special tour just for a couple or just for a family. That, it doesn't, it's possible. Oh, they don't have to be stuck with these dates. No, they don't have to oh, be. that's rather nice. So yeah. you're pretty much sort of flexible here. We are flexible. We're doing the group tour for people that would like to join a group. But if people want to go, only two of them or a group of friends or whatever for, and they can't go on these dates, then we can put it together. The only thing is that we must first just check if there are permits available. That is the determining hmm. factor. So, Elizabeth, it sounds wonderful. When are you off to Rwanda? You've done the Uganda one. Do you have to go off and do Rwanda now, I think? I think I must go in I think January. So. Yes. I, think, I, think, I think so. Because but I mean, there's so many other places. <laughs> <I also want. laughs> 
<laughs> well, pick something interesting and come and tell me about it. I, will, I, must, really I must come and tell you about Ethiopia. That is oh, one of my other... Yes, you've obviously been there. Yes, and I just love that country. Well, we'll yes. have to make a plan. You'll have to come and tell me about your trip to Ethiopia. But thank you very much indeed for joining me on the show this evening. Thanks for having me. I was chatting there with Elsabeth Muller, and she's head of department for Outbound Tours for Live the Journey. And if you'd like to find out more about their trip coming up in January to Rwanda or July to Uganda, and as Elsabeth says, if those dates don't suit you, contact them and they can make up a trip for you as well, If as long as there are permits available to go and see the gorillas. But if you want to find out more, you can call them. The number is 021-912-1400 or take a look at the website. It's Live the Journey. Time to travel with Karen Key. And that's it for Time to Travel for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me this evening. And just a reminder, if you need any information about something you've heard on Time to Travel, you can find it on Facebook. Just go to travel on SAFM or email me on travel at safm.co.za. And then just also a reminder that there's now a very short list of available documents for Time to Travel. Those are also on Facebook. Go to travel on SAFM. If you'd like any of those, just post a message there. But please do remember to include your email address so I can send those to you. Well, I'll be back with you next Monday evening with the Law Report when we'll be talking about labour law with attorney Michael Bagram. So join me then. But time right now for some nighttime music.